Thank you for joining us for this special podcast for the new book, It's a Battle on the Board. In this podcast, you will hear from Deborah Alcott-Tyler, who is the author and CEO of the Directory of Social Change. Deborah is also a trustee of Inkind Direct, Berkshire Community Foundation, speaker and third sector columnist. Deborah has been interviewed by Dr. Andrew Perkis, charity sector veteran as chair, chief exec, regulator and blogger. Currently, Andrew's a trustee of DSE and Safe Passage UK. If you would like to purchase a copy of the book, please visit www.dsc.org.uk forward slash BOB. We hope you enjoy this podcast. Such a nice read. Such a, such a good book. Why were you inspired to write it? Why, why did you think you wanted to write about a battle on the board? Well, you know, Andrew, I, so I spent a very long time in the charitable sector, as you know, over 30 years, and quite a lot of that time were reporting to boards or being on a board or working alongside coaching and mentoring boards. And one of the things that became really apparent to me during my time is that almost all of the formal advice that's out there for trustees is formal advice. It's to do with the technicalities. It's the men and arts. It's... Yeah you know, charity commission regulations, it's all that kind of thing. And it, it and in, in most of the times I noticed that where charities got into real trouble, it was very rarely because they'd made a technical error. It would, or, the, or rather they got to the technical error because the relationships within the boards has got to a, such a state that they weren't working well together. And so that's when things got missed and mistakes got made and decisions were made by one group that weren't, you know, against the other. But it, but even more than that, it was like the, the you know, the endless stories of misery I'd hear of chairs who were really stressed because they couldn't get the board into shape or chief executives who were in pieces because their board were riding Russia. And, you know, almost all of the stuff was about the, the emotional impact of poor relationships. And so that's what drove me to write the book. And in fact, the idea for it started years ago when I was chair of the Small Charities Coalition. We merged with charity trustee networks and I put out a call to all the trustees about I don't know, thousands of members saying, you know, come tell me your stories. And I was flooded mm. with tales of woe and despair you know, about all these trustees who wanted to be a trustee and wanted to do a good job but were finding it impossible. So, yeah, quite a long intro. But yes, that, that's why I came to write the book, to help, really. Well, that's great. and. Um... As you've been implying, you've been around the sector for quite a long time. So what are the different kinds of experience that you have fed into this book? Um, well, so the, I'll tell you something. I've found that you are a better chief executive if you are also a trustee or if you've been a trustee, because you get a much stronger perspective of what it feels like to be that voluntary body that is nonetheless accountable, that feels it has... It feels almost it's got no control over events, but knows it has to take the rap if things go wrong. So I think, I think that makes sense. So I've so I've been able to see governance from this from the point of view as being the chief executive trying to serve a board and also being a, a, a trustee working with the chief executive and alongside other trustees. And so I've kind of I've been a volunteer myself. I've you know I've also coached and mentored boards. So I've kind of seen them from all all in the round really. So I feel. Yes, I've got quite a good picture of what it feels like from, you know, I've been a chair of a board, I've been a vice chair, I've led subcommittees, I've just been an ordinary trustee, although I think that's one of the hardest jobs actually is being the ordinary trustee. So I've kind of got quite a bit of skin in the game. I know I know what it feels like from all of those angles. Well, I think that's really important. And I think you've also got had a lot of experience of small charities and of much bigger ones. Yes. And that's another 
quite important uh, sort of thing. So that you're, you know, you're talking about a big variety. It just occurred to me, wouldn't it be great if the regulator had also had experience of being a chair and a chief executive or senior staff person, that they would be a better regulator as well. Oh, they certainly would. But and at least... That's a, we better not go there. That's a different story, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> that's another podcast, Andrew. That's, and another, that's another one. So just picking up then on, on your own experience, um, Deborah, I mean, what was your very first experience of being a trustee? How did you find it, being a trustee for the first time? Gosh, um, I found it, so my first experience of being trustee was a relatively small charity. I'm not going to name them because it'd be unfair. And it was a really, it wasn't a great experience at all, if I'm absolutely honest. It's, uh, there wasn't any training, there was no information. I wasn't, you know, I didn't apply. Somebody came and asked me, would you come and help out? You know, I, the, I, I, found, I found it quite dysfunctional. You know, it was all, I found there was quite a lot of ego battling on. You know, it was, it was a sort of charity where there's some of the people were very heavily invested in how it operated and others were kind of more remote. And it just, you know, so it wasn't the best experience, I have to say. There's no kind of blame there because this was a very, very, very long time ago, you know, over yeah. 20 years ago. And I think at the time, sort of trusteeship wasn't taken quite as seriously as it perhaps is now. And, you know, I mean, I, you know, you know yourself, Andrew, the number of trustees out there who don't even know they're trustees, you know, yeah. <laughs> they're on the, they're on the management committee of a charity without yeah. any realisation at all that they're actually, you know, legally. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's a buggins turn, yeah. buggins turn on the committee. Yeah. yeah, but it wasn't really anybody's fault. And, and also I found, you know, one of the, again, sort of slightly negative experiences I found, not just that, but I have been subsequent ones, is that the obsession with the money, it's like, of course the money matters, but most of our board meetings were taken up grilling the executive over the finances. And we, we, you know, we never seemed to talk about the beneficiaries or what the charity was there for, or the importance of the, you know, the work that we were doing. So I found yeah. that kind of grinding down. But having said that, you know, the charity itself did work that I really valued and mattered to me. So I didn't walk away. Wow. You know, but I'm just being brutally honest. And I think that happens to a lot of trustees. I think, you know, they, if, the, if the board isn't particularly well run, they come on and they learn bad habits. And then when they move on to other charitable boards, they take those bad habits with them. You know, so there's kind of a cycle of it, yeah. really. And again, let's hope that, that this will help people who are in yeah. that same situation as you sort of think yeah. it through yeah. and learn the right lessons rather than, rather than the bad habits. That would be yeah. really great. Yeah. So, um, I mean, what was, you, you'd call it the battle on the board. Um, I'm going to ask you first to talk about, you know, the worst battle you've ever experienced on a board. And then I'm going to ask to offset that. Um, what was the really, the, the, the experience that you treasure most about being on the board? So let's have the bad one first. What was the biggest battle? Uh, well, so the, the biggest battle on the board that I've experienced or witnessed or, you know, without you know, condemning the guilty and stuff like that was where the board itself couldn't agree on the strategic direction of the charity at all. So that so and there were literally two factions, one faction who thought the charity should be sort of like more of a campaign think tank and the other faction who thought it should be a service delivery charity and they couldn't agree. But because they couldn't agree, the chief executive got caught up in that crossfire. So the chief executive was made the scapegoat effectively because the board couldn't come to a decision and it ended up with the chief executive almost losing their job because the board couldn't, you know, couldn't come to agreement. And in fact, the end result of that was the entire board had to stand down because it literally got that bad. The battle got that bad between, between them on the board and also between them and the chief executive. 
as I say, they had to stand down. And then what happened was that a whole new board had to be constituted. And that was that was a really gruesome for everybody involved in that was a yeah. really, really difficult time. And it, and it affected the staff and everything. So I would say, yeah, that was probably the worst battle. And um, your second question that, was? That can be quite emotionally draining. And, and, you know, those kind of, when it gets personal like that, and yeah. you get division, um, yeah. you know, it can be really, really draining and difficult. Yeah, and I think the, the main problem there was is that the, the chair, who was a really perfectly decent human being, but wasn't really very experienced and not skilled enough to know how to move these things forward and didn't understand how to manage the relationships, because ultimately it wasn't really a question of the direction of the charity. It was about the fact that they, they didn't engage in a constructive relationship that allowed them to work together to come to the right place. And because of that, they displaced it on the chief executive. So, you know, as with all of these things, it's very rarely in my experience there's bad people on the yeah. board. Very yeah. often it's just they're not skilled, you yeah. know. And as I say, the reason I, you know, this is about relationships primarily on the on the structures and processes that help you to make the right decisions as a, as a group of people is because that's when it goes wrong and that's when the charity fails. And of course, if the charity fails, the services to the people that we passionately care about fails. And that's why it's so important to get it right. And nearly always, isn't it, if something goes seriously wrong with a charity, it's nearly always because the governance has broken down in some yeah. way. Mm -hmm. And yeah. what you're, what are, one of the things you're saying, I think, in this book is that when governance breaks down or when it's working really well, um, that is partly to do with knowing what the right processes are and all the yeah. rest of it. But it's also getting the relationships right. Yes. And yeah. you have to be conscious of that and to work at that. It doesn't yeah. just happen spontaneously necessarily. No, it definitely doesn't. And in fact, you know, there's the, because the, the, I think in, in some ways, I think it's almost like a fear of being open and honest with each other on the board. I mean, I've seen, I'm, I know you have yourself, Andrew, you've seen quite a lot of um, charities where there are, there are trustees who are not performing particularly well and they're not really right for the board for whatever reason but for whatever reason the chair doesn't feel they have the power or sometimes the courage to confront yeah. that and deal with that situation because you feel really bad that you feel guilty they're a volunteer there's a pretty good chance of somebody relatively important they're like a big wig in the local community or they're a local councillor or they're a donor yeah. you know they're very often somebody who actually sort of matters and, and not being able to have those to have those conversations quite hard um but you know but a lot of it's to do with I honestly think the common sense stuff, like I always advise chairs, have one-to-ones with your board. Like at least once a year, just say, let's have a half an hour chat, even if it's just on the phone, because that way you're beginning to build a relationship and it makes it a lot easier for you to then, for me then to say to you, look, Andrew, mate, you know, you're, you're a brilliant bloke and we absolutely love having you, but you've not turned up to the last three board meetings. And honestly, let's not waste our time. You know, you, you are able to have that conversation. Whereas yeah. if we don't have that relationship, me talking to you out of the blue, you know, so yeah, anyway, but you know that even better than I do because you've got even more experience than I have of this. Yeah, well, there's lots in here that's very familiar, but even though I've been knocking around forever, I still found it really, really interesting and gripping and very oh, informative for me. So, um, you know, the, the fact that people may think that they've, they've had a lot of experience doesn't mean actually that they won't find this a really good read, in my opinion.
Well, I hope so, because sometimes I, I, somebody once said to me years ago, an old boss of mine said, there are people who have got 20 years worth of one year's experience. And yeah. there are other people who cram 20 years into one year. And yeah. that you must never think that experience is about longevity, you know, because there are people who literally have just had the same experience over and over again. And again, I think this is part of, you know, wanting to get people to read and to learn and to think differently you know about their experiences on the board and how they could be different or behave yeah. differently yeah now let's look at a more positive side I mean what yeah. give us some ideas of some of the experiences you've had on the board which you really cherish because we don't want to give the impression that it's all a, a terrible experience I mean it's a, it's a wonderful experience isn't it so what are some of your highlights Oh, it really is the most wonderful experience, actually. I mean, you know, of course we talk about the, the negative stuff because that's that's the stuff we need to deal with. But, you know, like the, the joyful moments when, for example, you take a risk on appointing a chief executive who, you know, you're not entirely sure about and they thrive and grow in the role. And as a result of that, the charity's in better. All those times, I remember that on one board where, you know, we were sort of, we kind of got a little bit stuck into thinking far too much about processes and we'd forgotten about beneficiaries and we had the beneficiaries come into a board meeting and talk and tell us as a board how incredibly important the charity was to them and then the, and the difference it made to their lives, you know, and then we're all like sobbing hopelessly and helplessly listening to that. And you realise that, my God, actually, all those blooming papers that I've had to wade my way through, all those questions I've had to ask about, you know, the unreported accounts, all of that is because at the end of it, there's a human being who is being helped because of this work that I'm doing in, in governance and stuff like that. So, yeah, I think if you can, if you as a trustee can stay connected to the cause and to why you're there, you can't help but find it joyful. And, you know, and it does help you to get through the, the sort of tougher side or the more mundane side, which inevitably you have, you know, because governance isn't all, you know, some of it is quite dull. Yeah. That's really important, actually, isn't it? Because sometimes trustees can get in the habit of just turning up to, you know, formal board meetings and so on and so forth and can feel quite remote, actually, from the work of the charity on the ground. I mean, how do we get around that? Well, I, my advice is always at least once a year, bring your beneficiaries into your board meeting, at least once a year. I mean, we do it at DSC, of course, Andrew, as you know, last year, we brought in some of the people that we work alongside and, you know, the work we do to hear from them. And, and you know, even our, although our um, beneficiary base or our service users are sort of remote from the end user because they're the charity, mm. said, nonetheless, that was quite inspiring and quite interesting. So at, at the very least doing that, I mean, I would say probably at least every single board meeting, there ought to be a thing which is about, you know, an item on the agenda, which is about right now, let's hear from beneficiaries or let's talk about beneficiaries. Actually, I had, um, there was an experience, um, there's a particular charity where they were trying to make some big changes and, and what they'd realised was they were getting into the habit of, as you say, Andrew, just turning up and getting stuck on processy stuff and things like that. And the, um, I can't remember whether it was the chair or the chief executive, but somebody introduced this notion of sort of the, uh, the avatar um, of who it was they were serving. And let's say they, they were calling it Shireen. And yeah. so they described who's a typical beneficiary of the charity. And then at the, at, you know, at every decision point, they, they would say to themselves, or they would be asked, how is this gonna help Shireen? How is this conversation going to help Shireen? How is this decision going to help Shireen? Yeah. You know, and that really helped to bring it back to, you know, actually not doing stuff for the sake of it. And in fact, one of the really powerful impacts it had is they they stopped getting so obsessed with risk registers, red, amber, green, half of which make absolutely no 
you really don't need to be worrying about that stuff. If it goes wrong, you'll deal with it. But actually, this is more to do with, you know, how is this risk going to be bad for Shireen? Or is this, this is a big risk, but if this risk pays off, it will help Shireen. And again, that helps the board mm. to perhaps take bolder, braver risks in service of the beneficiaries rather than be worried about protecting themselves. Yeah. Actually, for many years, you just reminded me in um, ActionAid, yeah. the board used to have three empty chairs as well as all the board members. Oh. And the three empty chairs were represented um, the staff of the organization. Um, the, uh, you know, the beneficiaries, the people yeah. that we were really there to work for and serve, and the supporters and donors. What a great idea. And, and so somehow those empty chairs were telling the board, um, you know, we're here with you. Don't don't forget us. Um, that is a genius idea. You should so write an article about it. Well, it's it's it, that was just one way of, of of trying to get this get the trustees to remember all the time what they're, they're really there for, and then yeah. they'll enjoy it so much more. Yes, yes, yeah. it's true. Now look, Deborah, this you know, there's a lot of books around about how to help trustees, how to be a trustees, the duty of trustees and so forth. Um, can you put your finger on what you hope is distinctive about this one? Gosh, that's a really hard question to answer, actually, Andrew. I, I think, like, for me, I'm trying to, to share stories and my stories in a, in a very real human way. Yeah. To sort of make the point that, you know, we're going to get it wrong. We are going to make mistakes, that there is no perfect, you know, way of being. There's just about being adaptable. And so I've tried to make sure that I tell the funny stories, I tell the shocking stories, you know, that, that, I, that I make the point that this is you know, like I, I'm talking to you about what it's like to be a trustee. It's almost like if I can't be in the room with you, I'm trying to be in the room with you in the book so that, you know, you sort of hear the realities of it and also not to gloss over, you know, because so many of the books that are, that are very good, but they kind of gloss over the, like, the realities, you know, of what it's like when you're trying to work with other human beings. So that's, I think I've tried to, yeah, to keep it, keep it real. Gosh, that's such a phrase, isn't it? But, you know, to... Yeah, so and I think I think that's what perhaps makes it a little bit more distinctive from some of the others that it is very conversational and it is you know, and it's very understanding. You know, it's not you must do this, this, and this. It's you know, look, try this. If that doesn't work, try something else. If that doesn't work, give up. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, I agree, and I, that it really does come across like that. It's not so much the assumption that there's a body of expertise and you are kindly sharing it with us. It's much more. Uh, you've been through all these different experiences and things, and you are having um, a really instructive but basically warm and personal conversation with the reader um, to help the reader really think through all these things yeah. and benefit from the experience of others. Um, I mean, it's not that many um, manuals that, that give space, as you do, to sort of top tips from a range of different people, not just yourself, but a range of different people. Um, and that's a really interesting feature, I think. Um, and, I mean, you are very good, Deborah, at um, finding different ways to communicate. I mean, a lot of it is your own personal style, which is very warm and, and very easy to read and, and accessible. Thank you. But um, you also like doing um, 
charts and you like doing here's a self-evaluation form this is how you can do it and yeah. this is how we do it in directory of social change you might find it useful to have a look at this one and you know you've also got your two um the great the really good trustee rep Ace and Dash Ace <laughs> and Dash and then the terrible one yeah and what would one do and what would the other do so you know it does keep the reader going all the time because it's not just continuous prose it's all these different ways tables cartoons uh, simple diagrams as well as um you know just taking put people patiently through an explanation so that that all adds up to it's it's a very lively thing there's there's lots of stuff in there at different levels so that oh, does make you, it it does what? make it it does make it very different from most of the others well, I must say, I think that one of the biggest, not just in Battle on the Ball, but the other books that I've written whilst I've been at DSC, is that Griselda, who does our cartoons, and she just has a genius eye for taking a story and then completely creating a cartoon that makes you laugh so hard. I mean, I think one of my favourite cartoons in the book is there's a section when I talk about how the fact that your, your staff and your colleagues will never, ever tell you whether you're a good trustee or not for, you know, all sorts of reasons, you know, because they like you or they don't offend you or, you know, that you're a volunteer and they're just grateful or they haven't got time or everything is and she's done this fantastic cartoon where the where the, um, the you know these staff are sort of standing in front of a dartboard with the face of a trustee they're hiding the fact they've been throwing darts at it and the trustee comes along and says am I a good trustee I mean that sort of thing I just <laughs> it just encapsulates that this yeah. whole thing about you know what they're saying about you behind your back is probably not what you think you know and it's really exactly. important to listen. but yeah. also I think what you're able to convey in all these different ways is that it's it can be a lot of fun and it's oh, also yeah. funny yes I mean, there's lots of human life there on the board and um in many ways it's a very funny book and that's because um although it's a serious purpose of course it can also be huge fun and i think you indicate um the sort of ways in which the balance can shift towards it being a lot more fun and a lot more fulfilling uh, and a much happier experience than sometimes it, it turns out to be. Well, I always, yeah, I think it was my grandmother who always used to say, take your work seriously, darling, not yourself. <laughs> you know, and I think that's, and I think that about boards, it's like boards take the work seriously because the work you do matters, but don't, don't be up yourselves, you know, it's like we make mistakes and if we can't laugh at ourselves or even have fun doing it, what's the point? And that could almost be, you know, a sort of summary of the spirit of the book, I think. So oh. I, I'm really glad you said that. Let's have a look at some of the issues, the common issues that, that trustees find difficult. Let's take, let's take the first one, that um, they're supposed to behave like a united group and, and decisions are collective and so on. Um, but they only see each other every occasionally, every now and then. So how do you try and square that circle? Yeah, it's such a good question, you know, because we, you hear so often trustees are exhorted to behave like a team, and you know, and, and the thing is, you can't behave like a team. It's just a nonsense thing to say when you're you're meeting. If you're lucky, four to six times a year for a couple of hours, you know, so that's just not realistic. But but that's not to say that there aren't things that we can do in order to make the experience 
more collegiate and more collaborative. And I think that it's 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 incredibly important to get to know each other. And I think that what we need to do, what we so the best way that boards operate is they try and find ways to create space for trustees to know each other. So, for example, you know, I would say to trustees, always turn up to your board meeting early. You know, there's nothing, you know, to be honest, if you're the person who turns up just at the crack of the meeting saying like, oh, I'm just so busy today, it just makes you look like a bit of a, you know, yeah, exactly. Like it's not particularly impressive. Whereas mm. if you make the effort to be there early and you chat to people, you build up much stronger relationships. Again, at the end of board meetings, trying to create some space for, you know, private time, but also really communication between board meetings. I mean, it amazes me how many charities still think that the engagement between trustees and between the executive and the board is just sending out the board papers once a month. Yeah, I quite agree. Yeah, and it's just, that's just crazy. There's no need for it to be like that. Even just the old sort of email to each other. And also this thing, again, another thing that I find quite difficult actually, and I think is really super bad practice is when trustees say, please don't CC everybody in. And I'm like, but that's how you learn what everybody else is thinking. So yeah. you should CC everybody. And, it, you know, it's up to me if I choose to open it or read it. But don't don't keep me out of the conversation by not copying yeah. me in. I, I just, yeah. you know, it's like this whole thing about, are you honestly saying I'm so important? You you have to manage your emails to me. And I, I, I don't like that attitude. I think yeah. if we're going to be a trustee. Then we need to be recipient of information and we have to manage whether that information is relevant to us if we want to engage in the conversation. But quite apart from anything else, you then get to see a lot of the character of the rest of the board when you see what their views are about stuff in between the meetings and things like that. So definitely, definitely things like that. But I think it is about being realistic. And actually, Andrew, to be honest, and I think you'd approve of this entirely. One of the other things I always recommend is make use of formal systems, because the problem is if you're not fully engaged with your fellow board members, there will be some who are. And then you end up in this dangerous situation where you have little cliques. Yeah. Not anybody's, it's not deliberate, nobody's yeah. deliberately excluding anybody, but there will be those people who spend time talking to each other and they can end up, end up being the driving force behind the charity, behind the decision-making because you haven't engaged in it. Yeah. And so that's why I think it's super important to make sure that you know we all include each other in the conversations because if yeah. that little clique makes a decision that goes wrong for the charity, the fact that you weren't involved in it doesn't it bears no mind you know you are yeah. still accountable regardless absolutely sometimes you know some of the the more modern technology like having a whatsapp group yes can be right not for all boards but for some yeah. again yeah. i remember you know if, if for example you're you're on, on an international charity yes it becomes much more challenging to, to to keep in touch at any time other than a board meeting but if you've got a little whatsapp group you can keep that sort of feeling of yeah contact and um and empathy sympathy with your fellow board yeah. members sometimes in that way not for everybody but it's worth considering and actually in in some ways as well this um this crisis and because we've all been forced to work from home and use zoom has actually opened up i think some uh, certainly in the boards I'm currently sitting on, I feel a lot closer and more engaged with my fellow yes. trustees because yes. we're actually seeing each other more often and more physically yeah. via the Zoom thing. So it, so it definitely feels more engaging. So I think that, yes, that sort of thing. Yeah, well, That's really good. And it's all part of your theme of investing in relationships. Yes. And being conscious about that, yeah. not just treating it as a sort of matter of formal process. 
Yeah. And also this business of like thinking we all know who each other's are. I mean, the honest truth is, if you only go to a board meeting four times a year, there's a very good chance you turn up and you cannot for the life of you remember the name of that other trustee. <laughs> do you know what I mean? I do. But I'm a big fan of name cards and yep. list the names of the attendees. And also, because what we do, as you know, Andrew, at DSC on our... On our um, a board agenda, we list all the names of our trustees and also what their jobs are. Yeah. So that anybody new coming into it or any new trustee or even trustees who've forgotten, oh yeah, I've forgotten, Andrew, that you are the, you know, yeah, yeah, king of yeah. the world or whatever it is. You know, that I think all that stuff helps you to put people into context. I, I agree. Now let's turn to another one, Deborah, which is um, the, the, the old issue about how do the trustees um, play their full role without um, getting interfering in the proper role of the staff and executive. I mean, I should add that your book is very much geared at a full range of different charities, including small ones that don't have staff. But obviously, there is a lot in there in particular for the ones that do have staff. And it's, it's difficult sometimes, isn't it, for trustees that only meet occasionally to feel that they can genuinely have some sort of meaningful oversight when you get these muscular staff that are working all the time and know far much, much more about the whole thing. So what are your, some of your reflections about that? Well, again, I think it's a lot to do with um, like a lack of communication, people not being really clear what the decision is, whose its decision is and the rest of it. And I think there's, a lot of these things can be solved through process stuff. So, for example, you know, when you construct the agenda, making it really clear that this item is just for information. So you just yeah. you're just sharing with the board, and then the board itself knows when that item comes. It's not you're not asking them to interfere. You just want them to listen. Um, a ditto when it's for decision. Also, things like um, you know, you, boards anyway should be reviewing their performance and how they're doing every single year as a minimum. And at those yearly um, uh, like sort of self reflection sessions thinking about are we clear about the line between governance and executive so do we know because there's also no hard and fast line there are times when you know inevitably the board is going to need to be more heavily involved for whatever reason and then other times when they can step back I mean again we found this here at DSC this year during the crisis is that our board have been much more heavily involved in some of the detail of how we operate necessarily so because we're in a crisis time and, and you know you need to be slightly more on top of the detail whereas in previous years you would have been much further back and that's so I think that I think that there's a fluidity to it but the fluidity needs to be agreed it needs to be clear that right you know we are going to do more of this now we're going to engage more now because of this situation and then I think it's you know very often it's down to, to like training about how we communicate I mean I I've often noticed that relationships break down between board and executive because a board member will say why don't we do xyz and then the chief executive will say we do do xyz and then it'll feel to the board member that they're being defensive you know so sometimes I also think it's about teaching ourselves as trustees how to communicate so rather than saying why don't we saying do we yeah yes exactly and then, and then when the answer comes back yes we do that's fine it feels much less combative so I think it's it's a bit of process it's a bit of how we communicate with each other and it's a bit of you know emotional intelligence really yes and I think it's quite it's one of the things I think is really helpful about this book is that I think it will help trustees to be more confident about what their rightful role is yeah 
and how you can play it in a way that, you know, won't appear to be uh, out of line, you know, antagonistic to the staff. Oh, and like, actually, Andrew. Like in the wrong notes and yeah. so on and so forth, you know. And for many people coming in to be a trustee, it's not really, it's not easy to judge how do you do that? Yeah. How, how can you uh, challenge and affirm the staff? sometimes at the same time, yeah, and, and without feeling bad about it? That is such a good question. And in fact, you know, so I think there's, there's very much something about understanding what our role is. So I think lots of trustees come in thinking that their jobs are to be the expert and to advise the staff and tell them what to do. And I would say that's exactly the wrong way around. Yes. It's the job of the staff to be the experts and to guide and advise the board of trustees to make the right decisions. And I think if you as a board come in thinking, my role is governance, my job is not the detail of it. Your job is to tell me what's going on, what the various scenarios are, what the options are and so forth. Give me information and make recommendations about things so that we can then make decisions about it. And I think if we think if we think that our role is to test the thinking of our staff, that's a much more positive way forward. We're not challenging because I, you know, the word challenge assumes you know, something, you know, which is why I don't really use the word challenge very much in the book. Okay. I think it's much more to do with testing thinking. So when you're asking these executive questions, I'm not challenging you, uh, chief executive. I'm testing, you know, have you considered X, Y, Z? Oh, good, good. That's, t you know, then, I, then I'm now confident. So I think the main job of a board of trustees most of the time is actually to ask questions. Yeah. Not to give advice, not to tell them what to do, but to ask questions so that you're confident that the work that's needed to be done for the charity is being done. And I think if you see it in that way, the relationship becomes much, much more positive yeah. and, and sort of partnershipy, as opposed to I'm going to tell you what to do or I think I know better than you. Yeah. And at the same time, if a trustee does actually feel worried about something, it's really important that they feel okay about saying so. Yes. You know, exactly, we, yeah. it's it's so important to avoid an atmosphere where they feel they're sort of um, raining on the parade and being a wet blanket or something. Yeah. Well, in the book, I tell the story of the nanny and the parent, of course, don't I? When I say yeah, the relationship. That was so interesting. Why don't you just explain that for a moment? Yeah. So, so I think the relationship between the board and the executive can be a little bit like the relationship between, uh, you know, parents and the nanny. And so you have parents and they have a child and for whatever reason, they can't look after their child themselves between the hours of seven and seven. And so what they do is they employ a nanny and it's the job of the nanny to look after the baby until the parents come home. And so uh, and what happens is the relationship between the nanny and the parents can go wrong when the parents say, I want the child to eat quinoa for lunch. And the nanny knows full well that child isn't going to go anywhere near quinoa at lunchtime. Not a can. Hell's chance is not going to eat the quinoa. And so the and the nanny is the expert in the child basic because they're with the child all the time. And the parents are not the experts. And the nanny forgets that even though the nanny is the expert in the child, it's not his or her child. The child belongs to the parents, and it's the right of the parents <laughs> to determine what the what the strategy is for the child, what the future direction is for the child, what the what the broad environment in which they want the child brought up in and I think when when both understand that they both care about the baby and that the nanny is the expert doesn't take away the the 
ownership. I mean, I hesitate to call parents owners of babies because clearly they're not, but it doesn't take away your parental rights as a parent just because you're not the expert in your child. And I think it's exactly the same. And I think that, you know, as a chief executive, our job is to, it's not our charity. It doesn't matter how long you've been there. You know, DSE, I love DSE. I'm passionate about it, but it doesn't belong to me. It belongs to the trustees. And my job is to serve the trustees to make sure that they're making good decisions in, in service of the charities. And then vice versa with trustees, that you know, the, the charities that I'm a trustee of, I'm very conscious that my job is to serve the staff to make sure that they can carry out the work of the charity. It's not, it's not the job of the staff to serve me. It's my job to serve them and to try and make their job lives as easy as possible, whilst, of course, you know, asking the right kind of questions. So, yeah, and I think when, when both sides understand that and they realise that ultimately it's the baby that matters, as in it's the charity or the beneficiaries of the charity, that's what counts. Yeah. Well, there's lots of good stuff in this book on, on how you actually achieve that. Now, I just want to turn to your two fictional characters. When you're wanting to sum up after each section of the book, uh, you introduce... Um, Ace the awesome and Dash the dreadful. Um, you know, what would Ace do? What would Dash do? As a way of just summarising good practice and bad practice stuff. Um, and what do you think? I mean, if you want to try and be the Ace one, what are some of the most important things that you, you need to be and do to be a really good Ace-type trustee, do you think? That is a fantastic question. I would say you need to listen, 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 listen. Try not to come into any, any particular engagement with the charity having already made your mind up about something. I think it's really important to listen to your staff, to your volunteers, to your beneficiaries, to your fellow trustees and so forth, so to really listen. I think the other thing is do your homework. Don't, don't make the staff do all the work for you. You know, so read the paperwork, keep up to date, be proactive. You know, I, I, there are a lot of trustees, I'm afraid, still existing in our sector, who expect that it's all of the job of the, the staff to be telling them things all the time and actually never themselves go and check out stuff or find out things. And then I think the third thing is, is to be present. It's like, you know, your job is not just to turn up at meeting once a quarter. How else are you engaging and supporting? Are you going to events? Are you nobbling your mates, you know, who might be able to support or contribute? Are you actively supporting the charity more than just turning up at meeting and, you know, tearing to shreds <laughs> the paperwork or arguing about, you know, how much there's been spent on stationery? So, yeah, so communicate, prepare and turn up. And, you know, Ace really needs to know what her or his job or role is as a trustee yes as you were saying before not come in thinking the job is to bark out orders yeah you know on the basis of their own personal experience or something yeah um, to, to to understand uh, how the trustee role is different from the staff role and, and I think yes yeah, yeah. I think it's also to reckon, of course, Ace and Dash are uh, like caricatures, they're stereotypes, they're extremes. I think it's also to recognise that sometimes we are Dash. Sometimes I behave like Dash in board meetings. Me you know? too. Yeah, exactly. You know, and it's to, it's to be, it's not think, well, I'm perfect. And, you know, no, no, no. you know what? There have been times when I've not listened. There have absolutely been times when I've told people what to do. There have absolutely been times when I've behaved like the expert. You know, and like to constantly remind yourself you're a human being, you're not going to get it right all the time. Be aware of it. Don't be defensive. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah, don't be defensive and be constantly, constantly aware that it's, it's easy to be dashed. Just as Tessie 
and Pecky, who writes the foreword, says, you know, there are times she tries to be ace and there are times when she's dashed. I think that's true of all of us. Yes. Well, that I, I when you were took, said, listen, 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 I remember the times when I've sat in a board meeting, not really listening, because I, it, I, I to my shame, really, I, I've been brought up to think that what I have to say is the most important thing. Um, rather than listening to what other people have got to say and thinking about that. And I don't think I'm alone in that, particularly amongst the male sex, because I, th I think it is part of uh, a patriarchal upbringing that men feel that the most important thing is that they should develop uh, persuasive opinions and then share them with the rest of the world and that they'll be judged accordingly. That's is, so enlightened and, and wonderful really, you say that, Andrew. not quite the most important thing you want from a trustee. Yeah, but, it, to, but to have the courage to say that is so important because, of course, a lot of, you know, over 70% of, of trustees of the charitable sector are white men. Yes. You know, a particular socioeconomic background. And for you, as one of those people, to have the courage and the humility to, to say that and to open it, I think is really important for our listeners. Well, I, I and I hope we'll give them the opportunity to say, do you know what? It's okay if I admit that sometimes I behave in that way and I'm going to acknowledge it and stop doing it. So well, thank and, you. And similarly, it's okay when you read this book yeah, uh, to realise the different ways in which it's very easy for all of us to get things wrong. And the way in which it's actually quite simple sometimes to do much better. Uh, and, um, you know, that's really important for all of us, I think. Um, now, look, Deborah, what do you think? I mean, in your experience, um, looking at the dash side of things, yeah. do you want to have a go at, at, at trying to identify, say, the, a couple or two or three of the most common dash-like flaws that you think we keep coming across? Uh, in, on the part of trustees who haven't read your book yet? Oh, my, the list is so long, Andrew. You want me to pick a few? And things yeah. I've been guilty of myself, of course. So this is not me sitting in a high and mighty yeah. job. Like, it's kind of linked to the stuff I was saying that ACE does well. It's like not reading the paperwork. Like turning up at the meeting blind and not paying attention, you know, which let's be honest, lots do. You know, turning up and like winging it through the meeting, I think, you know, is a really bad, because then you're going to make bad decisions and you're going to annoy people and it's not going to be as effective. So I definitely think that. I think thinking that you know better than the people who are running the charity is a real problem. Yeah. You know, we have, I mean, I, it's one of the things I'm worse for actually, is I can't just say, well, at DSC we do this and at blah, 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 we do that. And actually, that can be really kind of irritating for other trustees, which is like, well, this isn't DSC, you know, this is our charity. So let's talk about what's here. So I think thinking that your experience is superior and better, I, I'm awful for that, you know, I'm mean, really hands up there. Um, so I think that's that can be a real problem. I think not, not being open to challenge. You know, not not being open to, to seeing that your perspective might not be, well, it's certainly not the only perspective, and it may well not be the right perspective in terms of leading the charity forward. I think that could be a real problem. And particularly where, where you come in and you think you're the expert, you're the expert because you, you know, you happen to be a charity lawyer, or the expert because you're an accountant, or the expert because your child has that particular condition. 
you know, if you come in with that attitude into into that trusty environment, it's not going to be good for the charity and it's not going to be good for you. And it's definitely not going to be good for the beneficiaries. So, yeah, I mean, they, I mean, as in the book, of course, at the end of every chapter in each bit of it, I talk about Ash yes. can do. But in summary, I would I would say that's those are probably the ones I encounter the most commonly. I've, I've just got one more common one, which, again, is mentioned in the book. Yeah. Um, if a trustee can't attend a meeting, which yeah. is often absolutely understandable occasionally, of course, um, it's actually quite rare to find trustees that, that will take the time yes. to give their comments by yeah. email yeah. or have a chat with the chief executive or whoever. Yeah. Uh, it's as if the fact that they can't come to the meeting means that they don't need to bother to communicate yeah. their opinion about things, which is quite wrong. You know, it, it, if you've read the papers and you've got some reactions, it's, uh, as is said in the book, uh, give them in some other way. Don't just feel you can opt out. I mean, yes. that's quite a, a very common one. It is a really common one. You're absolutely right. And it's so frustrating. I mean, one of the most frustrating things speaking with my chief exec hat on is when you send an email to trustees and it just disappears into the ether and you're like, did you even get it? Yeah. Did you How do I know? And I think, I think it's really discourteous yes. not to respond to emails, even if all you're saying is thank you noted. You know, you don't even have to go into great long sort of thing, but I think that you should always absolutely acknowledge that you've got it and you read it. Or if you haven't got time to read it, say, I'm really sorry, Debs, I haven't got time to get to this right now, yeah. but I'll try and get to it next week or whatever, you know. So, mm. I mean, I have to say our trustees at DSC are pretty good at responding, but trustees generally aren't. No. You know, I sit with some of my, you know, trustee, fellow trustees and on boards that I sit on. So, yeah. That's respond. right. That's, part of your wider theme about you know being attentive to relationships and, yeah. you know what does it feel like to be a chief executive or another trustee that is writing around having done some work and wanting opinions and is then left in complete silence you know it's yeah. not it's not good it's not it's not right no well it's, it's discourteous and it's disrespectful and it's also not doing your job you yeah. know you were appointed to the board to engage with the charity and that means responding to blooming emails. <laughs> <laughs> now, there's a there's a sort of big question underlying all this. You call the book a battle on the board. And of course, sometimes it's a battle. Sometimes it's not a battle at all. It's lovely. Um, but you, you were talking earlier about sometimes if things go wrong, boy, they go wrong. And it can be a pretty awful experience for people. They're only volunteering their time. For a good cause and they end up getting dragged into a tribunal or personal hatreds and division mm -hmm. and you know problems that go on and on and on and lawyers and people suing them and all sorts of things and um, overall i mean do you really recommend people unambiguously to become trustees when the experience can be so difficult. I mean, is it is it really worth it? Yeah. I would say absolutely on so many different levels. The first thing is, let's be honest, when you encounter difficult things, you learn from them. 
you know, so even if it feels really shitty at the time, you are learning what went wrong, how went wrong, what you might do things differently next time. You're, you're observing what other people did that you think, God, I need to make sure I'm not going to do that, you know. So the very first thing is, is though, if you take the right attitude to, to when those things break down and is awful and realise, you know, I'm, I'm learning skills here, or at the very least I'm learning what not to do. But really the most important thing is that, as a trustee, you are serving a greater cause. You, you are, it's not about your own personal kudos. It's not about big pay or status or anything like that. It's not like being a non-executive director of Lloyd's or something, you know, it's the fact that you are serving a community or a, or a group of citizens or a cause that matters is important. And as a result of what you do on the board, when you get it right, people's lives are improved. You know, I always say charities save, support, enhance and enrich human lives literally so there will be lives that are literally saved because you as a board of trustees sat and went through you know the annual report and accounts and talked about the strategic direction for the next you know the next year or the next five years there are people whose lives will be so much richer and enhanced because you as a board of trustees have sat down and told over the management accounts and I know it can sometimes feel really hard to make that link but ultimately you're, you're doing something that's beyond yourself and I always, you know, I don't always say I've nicked this totally from somebody else, and I can't remember who it was now, but somebody said something about, you know, if a thing's worth doing, it's going to be quite hard to do. Easy yeah. stuff, generally speaking, isn't going to be, you know, and of course running a charity or being a governor or in governance in a charity is going to be hard because the work of the charity is hard because we're dealing with some really big entrenched issues or we're, you know, or, or there's a canal that we've got to try and get cleaned up or there, there's a bunch of kids who need our support or, you know, there's camels dying somewhere. You know, there's some really difficult problem to solve. And if it was easy to solve it, they would have been solved. So yeah. I think that the, dif the difficulty in being a trustee is part of the richness of the experience and part of the, the value of the work. So I'd say don't be afraid of how difficult it can be. You know, A, you're going to learn from it, and B, that's part of changing the world. Changing the world is not easy. That's, that's right. And, you know, it really is possible um, to minimise the chances of those bad experiences. Yes. I mean, just doing simple things right with the help of books like this um, really can make a big, big difference. You know, so many times people get blunder into terrible situations quite unnecessarily because they haven't got the basics right of how to do things. So this is so important for people to, to have to help avoid that. There's one wonderful quotation uh, from Bernard Shaw, which I, you say is one of your absolute favorites, which to me really sums up, you know, the spirit of why it's worthwhile being a trustee. Do you want to read that out, Deborah? It's on page nine. I will do, with pleasure. And it is one of my absolute all-time favorite quotes. And I don't apologize for using it over and over again because it's, you know. But also, it does sort of, if you don't mind my saying it, it sums you up a bit as well. Oh, okay. That's probably why you like it. <laughs> probably. Okay, let's hear it. Okay, so here goes. <clears throat> This is the true joy in life. This is the true joy in life. The being used for a purpose considered by yourself to be a mighty one, considered by yourself to be a mighty one. The being thoroughly worn out before you're thrown on the scrap heap, 
the being a force of nature instead of a feverish, selfish little clod of ailments and grievances complaining that the world will not devote itself to making you happy. <laughs> I am of the opinion that my life belongs to the whole community, to the whole community. And as long as I live, it is my privilege to do for it whatever I can. I want to be thoroughly used up when I die. In fact, I want to arrive at the gates of heaven with a bottle of champagne in one hand and a packet of fags in the other saying, let me in, I can do no more. That's Deborah, by the way, not George. Yeah, I thought it was. <laughs> I want to be thoroughly used up when I die. For the harder I work, the more I live. I rejoice in life for its own sake. Life is no brief candle to me. It's a sort of splendid torch, which I've got hold of for the moment. And I want to make it burn as brightly as possible before handing it on to future generations. So thanks, Deborah. And let's, let's battle on. Uh, and it's a joy at the end of the day, even if it's tough sometimes. It is, Andrew, it absolutely is. And thank you so much for the chat. It's been brilliant fun. Uh, I've loved talking to you about it.